the word of God speaks to us like this. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamaria, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your, and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill you to my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of God to us. Thanks, Shelby. Guys, she passed her Hebrew phonetic test and pronounced all those names the right way. <laughs> That's funny. There's no such thing as a Hebrew phonetic test. There was just her reading crazy names in the Old Testament, right? Hey, I'm glad you guys are here today. You doing good? My name is Chad Kinser. I serve as one of our pastors, and uh, it's a privilege to, to share God's word. If you're new with us or if you're, this is your first time back in a while, I'm so glad that you're here. Open up to, uh, to Jeremiah 29. It's where we're going to be in just a moment. I want to take a second before I start in today and honor a couple of guys with us in the room. Um, we get the rare privilege of having Ben Hill, our lead pastor of our Shawnee congregation. <laughs> and David Adair, our lead pastor of the Edmund congregation here with us. They have the, yeah, rare gift of being away from their congregations this Sunday. And I had no idea, but they came here. So I feel like I have a warm hug and just having some brothers here in the room. And uh, hey, we're, our city is so much better for the ministry you guys do. As we pray in just a minute, we want to pray for your churches as you're here uh, and the preaching of the word happening there as we're doing it here. But here's what we're doing before we, before we get to that moment. Um, as we're sort of leading up to these days, uh, in these days leading up to Christmas, we're, we're leaning into what has been the history of the church in this season, um, kind of the longing and the ache and the burden of this season of Advent. So as much as this is a cheerful season, it's also a season where we remember the fact that um, yes, Christ has come, but he's not finally returned 
for the restoration of all things. And so there's an ache and a burden. There was the ache and the burden of the people of the Old Testament longing for the promises of the Redeemer to come. And there's the ache and the burden that we have longing for his return to make all injustices back to right. Amen? And so we're leaning into that. And the way we're doing it in this season is we're looking at these vignettes, these pictures, these moments in the Old Testament to sort of recapture some of that longing, some of that waiting, some of that, that ache um, that we would see it again fulfilled in Jesus. And so today we're going to look at two themes that at first glance feel like they probably have nothing to do with each other. Um, but, but they're two really important themes in Scripture. We're going to look at the theme of exile and the theme of joy. Two really important themes in Scripture, uh, and they really connect as we think about Advent. So let's pray, and then we'll get to work. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and um, it's already been such a full morning seeing the baptism of our, of our little brother this morning. I uh, thank you for his faith in Jesus. I pray you would seal up his faith. I pray that all the renunciations and confessions that he brought forward this morning that we confessed with him would you, would you form him after those? Would you protect him? God, I thank you for the four that were baptized in the earlier service this morning and all the life change you're bringing in our community. And God, we just want to say together that, that you bring change into our life because you speak, because you do things. And that's happening as we open your word even now. And so around this room, we need to hear you today. More than we need a religious service, we need to hear the voice of a living God. We need an encounter with your presence, and, and you know that, God. And so would you do for us things we can't do for ourselves? Would you speak to places inside of us that no other word can go? And would you form us? Would you form us as you have always done your people throughout the ages as we wait eagerly for the return of your son, Jesus? We offer this prayer in his name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Well, last Christmas was the first year in our family that all of our kids were old enough to collectively enjoy the Home Alone movies. And uh, once we cracked that seal, there, there was no turning back. Uh, our kids watched those movies on repeat to what was arguably an unhealthy level. Uh, so it wasn't just that they had memorized movie lines. That would be one thing, and that would be awesome. Uh, where they could just quote back with the movie, but they had so integrated movie lines into their life that they became part of just natural conversation in the house, just natural responses. So I remember one, one evening where my six-year-old son Ezra, um, dinner wasn't to his standards one night. The, the food that was served wasn't quite to his preferences, and so he just looked at the food and says, Buzz's girlfriend, woof, right, at the table. And that's, that's his response to dinner. It was like, now that's a pejorative in our house. Buzz's girlfriend. My, my daughter Scarlett, she'll run upstairs. She's like, Harry, I've reached the top, right? Like, this is just sort of in our home. And this year they had already started asking to watch these movies again around Halloween. Like, Halloween happened, candy, we got the candy, Home Alone movies. And we're like, hey, let, let's wait till at least after Thanksgiving, right? Let's wait till at least after Thanksgiving. So we fired them up. But this last week, my, my oldest daughter, she, she made this comment. She, she was watching the movies, repeating all the lines, and she just looked at us with this sad face. And we were shocked, and she goes, it's just not the same this year. The, the movies just aren't the same this year. And we look back, and we're like, that's because you watched them ad nauseum last year, right? <laughs> she was so familiar. She was trying to articulate. She, they were so familiar to her that they just didn't pack the same punch as they did last year. And I offer that today because Advent can be that way, can't it? Advent can be that way for us. It's so familiar to us. We, we get excited, and there's things we know we're supposed to be excited about, but if we're honest, like inside of us, like it. It doesn't pack the punch at times, maybe as it once did. 
or things that we want to affect us like they once did, we're too callous now. And it's not just Advent, but there's also the Bible and certain passages of the Bible that can become familiar to us. Maybe it's a verse that you memorized or a verse that maybe at one time in your life like pierced through your heart, pierced through your mind. It drew you out to worship. It drew you out to have wonder and awe with God again. And now you go back to that same passage and maybe it's just a stale memory. It doesn't have the same effect. And all of that is true for different passages of the Bible, but particularly the one we're looking at today. And it may not seem that Jeremiah 29 has anything to do with Christmas, but the reality is that the whole Bible has everything to do with Christmas. It's all God's storyline of what he's doing in redemption. But the passage we're going to look at today in Jeremiah 29 11 is arguably one of the most popular verses in the Bible apart from John 3.16. It's a verse that many of you might know, and if you don't know it right as I say it, you, you would recognize it as you might hear it. it. It reads like this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, plans for good and not for harm, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a hope in a future. So, so here's what I want to do today. I want us to try to dust off the familiarity of what we think this verse is saying, of what we think was meant when we received that graduation card with this verse tucked inside of it, right, with $25 gift cards somewhere. I want us to dust off that familiarity, and I want us to settle back into the context, the world of this verse, how this verse comes to us, what was meant when Jeremiah penned these words to that group of exiles. And then here's what I want us to see. I want us to see how it leads us to Jesus all over again, or or maybe if you're not familiar with it, how it leads you to Jesus, maybe even for the first time today. So pick up with me in verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, to the priests, to the prophets, and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So, so Jeremiah is writing to his kinsmen, his brothers and uh, by, by, by race there, the Jewish nation who had been taken into captivity to exile by the Babylonians. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, exile is a major theme all throughout. This is life for all of us, not just in the Old Testament, but for all of us. Exile is life since Genesis chapter 3. Sin enters into the world, and the things that were so familiar and close before sin, the presence of God, the voice of God, living in the garden where all things are right and perfect, we've now been exiled because of sin. We've been cast out. The voice of God is much more difficult to hear. The presence of God is now an elusive thing that we're trying to tap back into by faith in his promises. But all through the Old Testament, this is exile. And exile is another way of saying we're not home. Even if we might be home, it doesn't feel the way we we want it to feel. We're not at rest. We're not settled Life isn't going the way it's supposed to. Life isn't going, this is just not the way it's supposed to be. There's a cry, there's an ache, that's exile. And, and all of us know a sense of exile, even if we wouldn't use that word. That's probably not the term we throw around over coffee, but it's the term we throw around in all of our ache and all of our discontent. Exile is captured in your life for all of that grasping all of that scratching, all of that groping when there's that internal conflict and you're just trying to settle things. It's exile. Those places in your life where something has felt lost and you're trying to regain a sense of fracture and brokenness back to healing, that's, that's exile. And it may not be slavery like the Israelites knew it in this moment, but there's these moments where you're just like, the world isn't as it's supposed to be. I'm trying to get back to something that I remember or I'm trying to get back to something that I dream of. This is why we even talk sometimes 
about the idea of a dream home, a place that we know that is beautiful and just as we want it to be, that is this small sort of picture of, of heaven for us, at least or heaven we've created for ourselves. But this is exile. And much of the Old Testament after Genesis 3 is about Israel in some sort of exile. They're wandering in the wilderness. They're in captivity to an oppressive ruler who's, who's now ruling over them violently because of poor decisions that they've made and God is using it for judgment and renewal. They're in the wilderness again. They're in captivity again. They're trying to build are trying to rebuild a sense of home that had been torn down and lost. And where we pick up in Jeremiah 29, this is the scene. The Babylonians had wrecked Jerusalem. They had taken most of the people back with them to Babylon to live under their rule. And if you know the story maybe of Daniel in the lion's den or the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, you can connect the dots in the biblical timeline because he's writing in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. So this is all sort of connected here. But he's writing to a group of people who have been ripped from their homes, They've been ripped from their families. Their daily routines have been interrupted. This was a dark moment for Israel. And Jeremiah the prophet had been telling them, if you guys don't repent, if you don't turn from the wickedness in your heart, if you don't turn from the idols that you've taken, God is going to bring judgment on you. God is, he, he's not going to get rid of you as his people. He will always have his people, but he won't have you like that. He's going to preserve a holy remnant, and he will bring judgment. He'll bring chastening. He'll bring discipline. You need to repent. And all the while, a few chapters before this, Israel wanted to kill Jeremiah. They wanted to end his life because they're saying, why do you keep bringing us bad news? And he's saying, because you keep sinning and turning from God. And he says, but if you wouldn't do that, he would bless you. If you keep doing that, he'll send you in to exile to get your attention. He will have you as his people, but he won't have you like this. And then you have these false prophets coming around saying, hey, it's not going to be that big of a deal. They've actually been taken into exile going, hey, listen, don't worry about it. We're going to be back out of here in two years. And Jeremiah's like, don't listen to them. They're the prosperity teachers. They're lying to you. It's actually much worse than that. God will have your attention. This is exile. And they keep reaching and grabbing for a sense of what was home. But they don't know how they got where they are. And they wonder if they can ever get back. They're in this foreign land. And now they're wondering, have we gone too far? They're asking questions like you and I might ask. Have we done too much? Has God gone silent now? Does God have anything to say to a people like us? Will God ever even speak again? And if he does, is it a word that will lift our burdens or is it a word that would make them heavier? But notice what God does in this passage, this letter to the exiles. The first thing I want you to see in verse 4 is that he brings his word. Notice this short little phrase and we'll sit with it for a minute. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Now that might be a phrase as you were reading down through this that you would just pass over in an effort to finish your Bible reading plan for the day. That might be a phrase that you would just go, there's nothing really packed there. But this one little phrase makes all the difference for those who are afraid that God is silent. This one little phrase makes all the difference for those who are afraid they've gone too far and maybe now you're just left to yourself to find your way back. In a moment of discipline, in a moment of chastening, in a moment where they just assume God has turned their back, there is this ray of light in the darkness. Thus says the Lord. He's speaking. The one we were afraid is silent is opening his mouth. And there are moments like this all over the scripture where darkness seems to win. Think about the fall. Back in Genesis chapter 3, they realize they had sinned, they're full of shame, they're exposed, they're trying to cover themselves over, 
And then God shows up and they're nervous that he's just going to have a scowl. But then it says, out of the darkness, God speaks and he draws them out with a question, where are you? Where are you? Out of the darkness, a ray of light. In the Exodus, after generations of slavery and silence from God, it says that God heard their cries. We talked about this last week. God heard their cries and he sent a prophet to give a new word. Out of the darkness, a ray of light. Let my people go. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, a moment when Israel had gone crazy again, even their priests were doing all kinds of ungodly things, and it seemed as though God wouldn't speak. In fact, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 3 that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. But out of the darkness, a ray of light. He calls out to a new priest, a new prophet, to Samuel, whose name means God speaks. And he says, yes, Lord, your servant hears. And then in the book of Job, amidst pain, amidst suffering, amidst loss and horror, will God ever speak to to the pain that we see in the wreckage of this world? And then it says in Job 38, verse 1, God speaks out of the whirlwind. This is the pattern of the Bible. Where there's darkness, there is always a ray of light, and God speaks. And so here's the point I want to draw out. In the darkness of exile, maybe you find yourself there. You wouldn't, again, use the word, but there's a sense in which, like, I don't know where I am. I don't know how I got here. Maybe it's the internal struggle. I don't know where I am. I don't know how I got here. You're asking questions, is it always gonna be like this? Am I just left to fend for myself and cope? In the midst of exile, in the darkness of exile, and you're wondering, is there any way back? The question is not, does God speak or will God speak? Because he is speaking. That's the narrative of the scriptures. He is speaking. He's always trying to get your attention. The question is not, will God speak anymore and will he have anything to say? The question is, where are you neglecting his word? Where are you neglecting his word? He is speaking. He's always speaking. He stands to get his people's attention. He will not leave you in silence. But where might you be neglecting his word? He speaks through his word. He speaks through his people. He speaks through our circumstances. He's nudging all the time, but might we be neglecting? So the first thing he does to these people in exile is he brings his word. But I want you to notice the second thing he does. He brings his mission. He brings his mission. Pick up in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what he says to them. I want you to build houses and I want you to live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and don't decrease. I want you to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now this is a really surprising thing for God to say. He's saying, hey, you're in exile. Things don't look good. And I know you're probably wondering what's going on, but just notice, this isn't random. This isn't an accident. You haven't landed in Babylon, you know, just by crazy events. He actually says in in verse 5, I sent you there. (laughs) I did this, by the way. You're wondering how you got ripped from your homes. I did this. I ordained this. And you're not getting out anytime soon. In fact, verse 10 is going to tell us you're going to be there for 70 years. So those false prophets, the ones who are telling you two years and done, they're liars. They're not from me. They're not saying what I would have them say. You're actually going to be here for a while. So here's the word I want to give to you. Settle in. 
settle in. Now, this is a shocking word. I want to frame a bit of the bite. God is saying, I realize that you're around a bunch of people who have ripped you from your homes and your families. They're tormenting you and oppressing you. I realize that you disagree with them politically in every way. I realize that now racial tensions are staring you in the face. You have to deal with those. You're divided in every way from these people, your oppressors, religiously. And in every way, these people are your enemies. But here's what I want you to do. God tells them, I want you to settle in. I want you to make a home for yourself. I want you to raise your family, marry off your kids, start businesses and everything that you do. I want you to seek the absolute good of your enemies. And I want you to pray like crazy for them, for me to bless them, and I will hear your prayers, and I'll do just that. Now, this is a group of people who had their lives upended in a moment. They're looking through their ear hole, wondering where they are and how they got there, and if there's any way back. And God says, you're not getting back anytime soon, but I want you to bless your enemies. This is a strange word, but here's what's happening From the time that God set his people free from Egypt, his purpose for Israel was always that they would be a light to the nations, that they would be those who would proclaim the excellencies of God and demonstrate his character and what he's like to the world. Now, clearly in this moment, Israel had been acting a fool. They haven't been living like an example or a light. But God says, I'm not done with my purposes for you. In fact, I'm going to renew my purpose. I'm going to renew my mission to you while you're in exile, and I'm going to form you again as my people, as you would be a light to the nations behind enemy lines. He forms them again by reminding them of mission. Seek the welfare of the city. Pray to me, the Lord, on its behalf, and I'm going to bless it. And I want you to raise families, start businesses, and do all the rest while you're there. Listen, part of what God is doing, if you're experiencing a sense of exile, like they might have been, part of what God is doing in exile is he's smuggling in his purposes behind enemy's line because not even exile can thwart the purposes of God. He's going to carry out his mission. Nothing can stop God's purposes. And so you might not see the connections yet, but here's the cliffhanger. This gets us ready for Christmas. Now, there's the third thing that God does. He brings his word. He brings his mission into exiles. He brings his promises. Pick up with me in verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and you'll come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So in the midst of the wreckage, in the midst of the chastening and the discipline, in the midst of trying to get his people's attention while they're confused and displaced, here's what God does. Not just his word, not just his mission, he gives them promises. He gives them promises. I'm not done with you. Now, the context of all this makes it so much more rich than the trite graduation card where you've probably seen this verse, right? This is actually quite a weird thing to say to a high school graduate or a college graduate. Hey, God's got plans for you, but they're not going to come true for 70 years. Hang on. It's ripped horribly out of context, right? But what's happening here is God's saying, in the midst of the darkness, where you think I might have left you, I haven't. In fact, hang on, I'm doing stuff, even if you can't see it right now. What he's saying to them is, I know you can't see it, and it's not going to be a quick fix. It's actually going to be 70 years. Most of you are going to die. Your children are going to die. But your kids' kids, they're going to see it. Hang on. I'm with you in the midst of this. I was thinking about the context of this, even with my family. If I were to have been in exile in this moment, I would for sure be dead. 
my oldest daughter is 10, she'd be 87, right? She would likely be dead. It would be her kids that would finally get to see the fulfillment of what God had been working all along. But he gives an enduring promise. He's saying deliverance is coming for you, even if you can't see it. Feel this as the New Testament church. We're living in the same space. Deliverance is coming for you, even if right now it feels polarized and you can't see it. I'm holding you even though you can't feel it. I'm working and I'm transforming you even though you can't fathom it. And God has kept every single one of these promises. Every single one of them. And what happens if you turn the page two chapters later from Jeremiah 29 to Jeremiah 31, he, get, he even adds to the promises. It's not just these. He gives promise upon promise. Pick up in 30, 31, 31, 31 with me. We get a ray of Christmas. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, a new promise in the house of Israel, in the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and and brought them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant, this is the promise that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'm gonna put my law within them. I'm going to write it on their hearts. The law that you've been so prone to leave and so prone to wander from, the God that you've been so prone to forget, I'm going to write my name on your heart and I will be your God and you will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his brother and say to his brother, know the Lord for they shall know me. I will make myself known from the least to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive your iniquity and I will remember your sin No more. God, in the midst of exile, doesn't just give one promise or two. He gives promise upon promise. The promise to end all promises, I'm with you. How does he do it? How does God keep these promises when it seems like he's not doing anything? How is he changing us when it seems like we can't fathom it? How is he holding on to us when it seems like we can't feel it? Here's where I want you to hang on for a second. The same pattern the same pattern that he ministered to the exiles of Israel. He brought his word, he brought his mission, and he brought his promises. It's with that same pattern that he reaches down to exiles like you and me. He brings his word, he brings his mission, he brings his promises. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, will not overcome it. And the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses and the other prophets like Jeremiah. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, the only God, the Son of God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is Christmas. It's not just that God brings us his word in Jesus the word joins us at ground zero. God breaks in and he steps on the same ground that we walk on. And in Jesus, it's not just that he brings his mission and goes behind enemy lines, but Jesus becomes the missionary. 
Remember the summation statement Jesus said? Why have you come? I've come to seek and save the lost. Where with Israel he restored his mission to them. With Jesus he brings his mission to us and he becomes the missionary. Everything that God commanded Israel to do in exile, Jesus does for us. He settles into a life and experiences the wreckage of exile with us. He seeks the welfare of his enemies, even to death. And he prayed for God to bless those who persecuted him politically, racially, and religiously. Mild he lays his glory by. He was born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give us second birth. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see him. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, this is Jesus our Emmanuel. He becomes the missionary. He's the word, he's the missionary, and this is the celebration of joy for exiles. God keeps his promises. So here's what's happening. Israel stood waiting for the time when the Redeemer to come would fulfill the promises of God. They were looking, they were waiting. When is he gonna come? When is the one gonna come? Not just to fulfill Jeremiah promises, but Genesis promises. When is the one gonna come that's gonna crush the head of this crazy serpent? They were waiting for the time. And he comes through a virgin's womb. But we stand Not too different. We stand waiting as now the people who weren't just waiting for the time. We stand in the time between the times. He was faithful to come once. And you can sure bet he's faithful to come again, just like he's promised. And so we wait as exiles. Can we all agree we're not home yet? Injustice is still rampant. Polarization. Enemies are still rampant. But God says, I want you to seek the welfare of the city where I have placed you. You're not here on random. You're not here by accident. You're here as exiles. And Jesus has become the missionary. In this cultural moment, it's really popular to say, I gotta go find myself. I gotta discover yourself. The good news of the Christian gospel is you once were lost, but now you've been found. You don't gotta go find yourself. Now where you've been placed, you can be the missionary along with Jesus, awaiting his final return. He's come once. You can sure bet he's coming again. God fulfills every single one of his promises. And exile didn't get the last word for Israel, and it will not get the last word who are purchased with the blood of Jesus. And so what do we do? What do we do in the here and now? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2 says it like this. Beloved, just know that that's your address. That's how you're addressed by God, your Father. Beloved, I now urge you to live as sojourners in in exiles. It's who you are. This isn't your home. This isn't your home. And Jesus promises to get you there. So live as sojourners in exiles. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. You know all of that. It's the stuff, the internal conflict of always wanting to wonder and being prone to wonder from the God you love. He says, Wage war against those things, abstain, and keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. This sounds just like his word to the exiles in Jeremiah 29. So that when they might speak against you as evildoers, and they might persecute you, that they might see your good deeds and glorify your God when? On the day of visitation. He's come once. He's fulfilled the promises. The new covenant is true, and he's coming again to seal it up once and for all. We wait 
as exiles, but we wait with hope. We wait with joy. So I want to leave you with a few questions today. Number one, when he brings his word, the question is, today, is there any place in your life where God's trying to get your attention, but you're neglecting his word? Is there any place as an exile? The thing you need most as an exile is the word of God. Man can't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Is there any place where God's trying to get your attention, but you're neglecting his word? Number two, here's the, other, the second question I want to offer you. He restores his mission to us. Jesus sought us as a missionary, and he's now turned us into missionaries in his own name. He says, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you, for in its welfare you find your welfare. Is there any place in your life where you're way more concerned with just closing off and protecting yours and building your own little kingdom instead of extending through, through word, through deed, through kindness, through grace, the kingdom of God to those around you. Seek the welfare of your city. Where can you set your hand to the plow? We've got city partners and mission going on all across our city. There's ways to engage the mission of God to be exiles, the exiles who seek the welfare of the city here and now. And the third thing, the promises of God. Is there any place in your life where you've just given up? <laughs> you've given up on God's promises You've given up on thinking he's faithful to those things because this text reminds us, this season reminds us that there's not a single one of God's promises that is lost and not a single one of God's promises that he bypasses. He's faithful to every word he's offered his people. There's an invitation here to believe again, to believe again. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that your truth is different than our feelings. Our feelings would tell us a whole lot of things. That you have gone silent, that you don't have anything to say, and that your promises aren't true. But your word is different. You do have things to say. You do speak out of the silence. You do speak out of the darkness. And every one of your promises is true. You will never leave us or forsake us. There is nothing that can separate us from your love. And you will meet every need of ours out of the riches of grace in Christ Jesus. Just a few of the many promises you give us in Scripture. Your word is different. So God, I pray you'd help us to anchor in. I pray you'd help us to live like faithful exiles. We're not home yet, but the visitation is coming. It came once and it will come again. Father, give us faith for that day. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.